Suddenly, Commissioner Hedford starts crying, and Kirk and McCoy take her to bed. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I knew. Wait, what did they do, Dana? They, they, what, where did they take her? <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. A fascinating and fun exploration of Star Trek, the original series, hosted by Dan Calzaretta and Dana Smith. This week... We're discussing Season 2, Episode 9, Metamorphosis. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana. It's good to be back. How was your vacation? It was great. Got to see some family. I got sunburn on my legs. It was a nice relaxing time. Got to swim in a pool. Went to the ocean. Good. Did you hand out any of the Damage Gym business cards when you were in Florida? I left a couple in the airport. Did you really? (laughs) Yeah. Just dropped them in you know, kind of general locations. And so we'll see what happens. What is a general location? What What does that mean? <laughs> like the toilet or what? <laughs> the waiting areas, uh, out, you know, outside the gates. Yeah, yeah. Well, good. That's awesome. Maybe some rando will pick one of those up and like start sending us messages. I was thinking that, you know, maybe J.J. Abrams has a place in Florida. And so he flies oh. down there. He's going to come through, probably flies southwest or something, you know. Sure. So he's, uh, <laughs> or some other really cheap airline. Allegiant, maybe Allegiant. Yeah. And uh, just pass through and he sits down for a second and goes, wow. Damn it, Jim, the podcast. I got to check this out. And then he hears us talk about him poorly and he sues us. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I actually am a little bit surprised we have not been contacted by any of the companies we've made fun of. Or the states. Exactly. Countries occasionally. Well, good. But I'm ready to go. Okay, me too. So before we dive in, want to talk a little bit about iMud, which was the last episode we recorded. Zachary O'Donnell said, always love the silly episodes that make you laugh, always enjoyable to watch. Mark Haley said, this episode, along with what our little girls made of and shore leave, exposed one of the problems I have with Star Trek The Next Generation, and that is the concept of androids, especially Data. In the future, on The Next Generation, everyone is so marveled by Data, but obviously, 80 years before, in the original series, androids had been perfected and also included realistic skin tones and eye coloring. That's a good point. Craig said, I'm Mud, despite some 60s flourishes, has retained its classic status. The Mud's Women's sequel plays like an introduction to Dadaism, right down to Samuel Matlovsky's avant-jazz piano score. It's astounding how much backstory and motivation gets packed into this script, which moves from entrapment to android invasion to absurdist comedy in three breathless acts. I'm a jazz fan. I didn't even notice that. I didn't either. I totally noticed the Dadaism, though. Got that. No problem. Who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, you had uh, some YouTube comments you wanted to share. First, Dana, I want to say we reached 10,000 downloads. Here's the funny thing. It took us almost nine months to get to 5,000 downloads and only two months to double that to get to 10,000. So it seems like people are listening. The thing is, my wrist has gotten so sore clicking the <laughs> download button like for hours every day. I think you need to take over. Yeah, I was afraid where you were going with that wrist was so sore. thing. <laughs> <laughs> In all seriousness, uh, it's great. We do have a a lot of downloads, but uh, it's pretty exciting that we are getting uh, a fan base uh, we've seen. And speaking of which, you've got more comments from YouTube. Yeah, the first one actually is uh, via email, and it's Doug. And he writes, greetings from the UK, gentlemen. Oh, wait, sorry. I think he means the UK. (laughs) (laughs) 
Doug, don't take offense at this, okay? But I, I want to do it in a British accent. Oh, he's going to take offense. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Here we go, Doug. This is just for you. Writings from the UK, gentlemen. I have a question about the ep- episode Devil in the Dark. When the order attacked and engulfed the first miner. Wait, that sounds like it's Australian <laughs> crap. That's sounds bad. like Winston Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the deal. I'm not going to read it in an accent, but this is what I want. I want Doug to join us on our next episode and he can read it for us. But I'm going to read it anyway, just in case Doug's like, I'm not doing that. What are you crazy? <laughs> All right. So this is what Doug said. Greetings from the UK, gentlemen. I have a question about the episode Devil in the Dark. When the Horta attacked and engulfed the first miner, was it literally on the Schmitter? <laughs> He continues, though, Dana, or did that happen some hours later after it had digested him? It's a great question. It did leave residue. So this is a great question. Uh, Some things, you know, Doug, in life are just unknowable. This might be one of those things. But thanks for listening in the UK. And seriously, send us an email. I will send you the link so that you can read that to us. We're, We're trying to improve our accents, Doug. You can help us out. Tyson on YouTube said, ha ha, adult diapers. And then he had several laughing emojis. That was it. That was the whole comment. Uh, if you remember, Dana, in the episode of Muck Time, we wondered why Spock's parents weren't at the wedding. Remember that one? Yeah. Well, Eddie commented, a Muck Time was the first episode of the second season. Presumably, the writers were still coming up with the plot line and backstory for Spock. That's a great point. Uh, Shamrock Particle, who's commented before several times, says about the episode I Mud, even by 60s standards on 12-inch TVs, that stunt double waddling in engineering is painfully obvious. <laughs> Shamrock goes on to say, Stella was quite a fun character. I think so. Yeah, a lot of people like Stella. Yeah. Yeah, And finally, Shamrock adds, diapers, laughing emoji. Definitely keep up the wit and quips. Thanks, Shamrock. That's awesome. Yeah, not everyone liked the diapers. And lastly, in the episode I Mud, Dana, you remember you wondered about the purpose for the emergency manual monitor? Yeah. Mogridge commented, the emergency manual monitor is clearly something you need to empower your stalactite when there are no nubile (laughs) androids around. Oh, nice. I thought we were going to get something really serious about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure I can disagree with what he said. And I love how he throws in the stalactite reference, which was a season one episode. Yeah, well, our listeners are loyal and follow us, Dan. Yep, that's true. All right, thanks for all those comments. They were great. Keep them coming. Now that that's done, let's get on with metamorphosis. So Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are aboard the Galileo shuttlecraft with Federation Commissioner Nancy Hedford, and they're headed back to the Enterprise. Uh, We learn that the commissioner has Sakuro's disease. Hedford says that she was trying to stop a war on Epsilon Canaris but now has to go back to the Enterprise for treatment as this disease is fatal if not treated. Spock spots something on the automatic sensor that he cannot explain. Kirk looks at it as they open the shields to see a sparkly cloud moving toward them at warp speed. Spock describes it as vaguely cloud-like of ionized hydrogen. That's exactly what I thought when I saw it, yeah. <laughs> I thought somebody had a bowl of jello that they were shaking. If people aren't from the Midwest, like we are, they need to understand when there's when jello is brought to like a party, 
party that someone brings it to a potluck or something, it's filled with stuff. Like there's pieces of carrot or grapes. And so you're right. When it was shaking, it looked like it had stuff in there. Yeah. That's what I thought was it was a bowl of jello or a big jello mold. <laughs> jello mold. Remember those jello molds? <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember jello shots? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yes. It seems like a great idea at the time until you wake up the next day. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> you know who invented that was, you know, Bill Cosby. I mean, he worked for the Jello <laughs> pudding people. So he invented yeah. that thing. So the cloud covers the Galileo and throws it off course. They try to get control of the shuttlecraft, but they can't. McCoy, for some reason, takes this time to remind Kirk that they have to get back to the Enterprise because of the commissioner's condition. And Kirk says there's nothing they can do. Now, everybody saw the cloud moving towards them. Mm -hmm. And then they see, like, you know, that Spock and Kirk have no control over the shuttlecraft. And then McCoy goes, you know, quit fucking around. <laughs> get us back on course. You know, you guys and your little jokes. Yeah. Really? <laughs> it's like, the next thing we see is the Galileo on a planet. Inside, Kirk is hailing the Enterprise with no luck. McCoy says the planet they are on is a lot like Earth. No kidding. They're all like Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and it's more like an asteroid, right? It's not a huge planet. Yeah, but he says it's 75 degrees, oxygen, nitrogen, atmosphere. So Kirk issues phasers and tells the uh, commissioner to stay inside. Kirk exits the shuttlecraft like he's ready for action, and Spock kind of does the same. They send McCoy off in one direction while Spock and Kirk examine the shuttlecraft. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, you know, McCoy, go off that way and go look for the danger. <laughs> yeah. Scream if anything happens. Yeah. Right. We don't have any red shirts on the shuttle. Why don't you just take their place? Since you made that stupid comment about, you know, we got to be back to the Enterprise like I had any control over the, the shuttlecraft, you just go out that direction. So Spock and Kirk examine the shuttlecraft, quickly discovering that nothing is wrong with it. Then the commissioner exits the shuttlecraft and uh, McCoy says, I told you to stay in the fucking shuttlecraft. That's what he says. <laughs> So McCoy says he has found the same cloud that pulled them off course here on the planet. He says it's not solid, more like a collection of gases. A few weeks ago, I had a collection of gases. And, uh... <laughs> and you were sharing them during the podcast. These microphones are very sensitive, Dana. They do pick that stuff up. So does my chair. That's <laughs> I'm still trying to get it off of the chair. <laughs> so just then they hear someone call out, hello. And we see a man in a yellow jumpsuit running toward them and calling hello. The man comes up and asks if they are real. When they answer, he's kind of stunned that they speak English. And when Kirk says they're from the Federation, the man seems a little confused. He sees Commissioner Hedford and says, as a woman and a beautiful one at that. Hedford seems a little stunned by the compliment. The man introduces himself as Cochran and says he has been marooned here for a long time. Kirk introduces everyone and Cochran says, Food to a starving man. All of you. And so first thing I would think is he's a cannibal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a great observation. I did not even think about that. I would have shot him with my phaser. <laughs> yeah. So then he goes to look at the shuttlecraft and he says, you can't get it going again. And then adds, 
it won't work. McCoy says, the man is human. Everything about him is perfect. And so, Dan, I've come up with another count for us. Okay. <laughs> How many aliens or other humans have they met that are in perfect health? Perfect specimen. Wow, Dana. There's going to be a lot, I think. I was thinking, I was just counting myself. I count at least four times that McCoy has said, there's nothing wrong with this person. They're in perfect health. Perfect specimen. Well, we could go back and do that count. Kirk tells Cochran about being taken off course and brought down to the planet. Cochran says there is a dampening field of some kind that keeps everything from working down here. So he invites everyone to his home. I have a small place over that way. All the comforts of home. I can even offer you a hot bath. How perceptive of you to notice that I needed one. McCoy comes up to Kirk and says he talks about a lot, but he doesn't tell us much. Sounds like us. <laughs> Dan, we have said many times people learn a lot from these episodes. Well, sometimes they get to the end of the episode and they say, what I learned was I never want to listen to these guys again. <laughs> we have had a few of those comments. <laughs> That's true. In fact, we've gotten a few comments from people and have never heard from them again. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And we miss them terribly. <laughs> <laughs> So they make their way to Cochrane's abode, and we see Hedford stops at the doorway, and she looks a little ill. By the way, I, I like the set a lot. I like the planet and the colors that they've got, the lighting, you know? I thought yeah. it was kind of cool. I liked it. So inside the house, Hedford says she's hot, and Cochrane runs off to get her something cool to drink. Well, he does bring out what looks like, what do you call those things, a decanter? Yeah. It would have cracked me off if he brought a beer out. That would have been great, so. actually. Yeah. But it is kind of funny. Hedford says she's hot. Cochrane runs off to get her something to drink and McCoy asks if she feels warm. No, I said hot. <laughs> Part of hot, don't you understand? You a doctor or an idiot? <laughs> Just... <laughs> Spock calls Kirk and he and McCoy go to the doorway where they see this gaseous cloud as sparkles and moves and then disappears. Inside, Cochran has a nice serving set. What looks like booze, as you said, something in a decanter. Nobody seems to question where he got that from. He said he uh, cannibalized his ship to build the house. You know, that what was he on a party ship? <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> Maybe he decided to bring that into space with him. If I was going into space, it's probably the only way I'd go. Well, would you go into space? Like if you were offered the chance to go into space? Yeah, I would. But I mean, would you go into space and like spend time on the space station or? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, like, you know, most kids, I wanted to be an astronaut because that's, you know, that's what was happening when we were growing up. Right. Yeah. I mean, as I get older, I'm, you know, I've got more sense. And less to live for, really. <laughs> I just like to think that, you know, I'd be a little bit more cautious and... Oh, 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 that's where you're going. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I would totally do it too. Float around the space station? That'd be hilarious. That'd be fun. Yeah. Man, can you imagine if we could do a podcast from the space station? Oh, that's the idea, Dana. Screw getting J.J. Abrams on the show. <laughs> or being the parade marshals. <laughs> so, Dana, you would trade being the grand marshal of the Star Trek Days parade in Riverside, Iowa to do a podcast from the space station? Well, like I said, you know, my, I'm more reasonable as I get older and uh, more cautious. And so I think the uh, being a grand marshal, less chance of me getting hurt. You could fall off that float. Or get pushed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> possibly your co-host. I, I don't know. You know. <laughs> I mean, I know they've done like live feeds from the space station, but no one's gone up and done a podcast, you know, so that would be the first. That'd be pretty cool. See the Russians in the background. These guys that are stupid. Oh, that was good. That one was good. See, when you're doing a Russian person, it's good. When you're doing Chekhov, you know, it needs work. Let's get these guys to near airlock. 
Tell them, very good acoustics in airlock. <laughs> yeah. Don't need suits. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about sound of rushing air going out of ship. <laughs> or that you are very cold. <laughs> Bye-bye, stupid American pig. <laughs> Yeah, so maybe being prayed, Marshall, would be a better idea. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe the parade is the better idea. <laughs> you got uh, you got money for the ramble jar tonight? Oh yeah, I got lots of money. Let's let's throw some in right right now. Thank you. Kirk asks about the entity they saw, and Cochran plays it off as a trick of the light. Spock says it was real, and Kirk gets a little testy and starts after Cochran, saying he demands an explanation. You'll find I have a very low tolerance level where the safety of my people are concerned. We find you out here where no human has any business being. Now, I'm not just requesting an explanation, mister. I'm demanding one. Cochran explains that it was the Companion. He says he was brought to the planet by the Companion and that the Companion saved his life. He says, I was an old man and the Companion rejuvenated me. And Spock says, I will withhold my judgment on your story, but can you tell us what the Companion is? So it's Jello. I mean, I thought we established that already. <laughs> by the way, when was the last time you had a Jello mold? It's got to be decades for me. I'm sure I was at a party in the last or some event in the last 10, 15 years where there was a jello mold. So they have them in Colorado as well? I think I was back in Illinois when I saw it. That would make more sense, wouldn't it? If you like jello, I suppose it's not bad. I don't like jello. When I eat jello, the inside of my mouth tingles. It's weird. Gelatin, isn't it made out of like sinew and horse hooves and stuff? I think that's what it used to be made out of. I don't know what it's made out of these days. I'm sure nobody would say that they make it from horse hooves these days or, you know, cow's bone marrow or anything. <laughs> I don't know. It's nasty, though, if you think about it, right? Yeah. Well, some gummy bears do the same thing, and I think some of the real cheap gummy bears, and there is a difference. I mean, there really is a difference between cheap gummy bears and good ones, but I wonder if it's the same thing. I mean, maybe it's made out of the same stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I've never had that problem. Which part? The the gummy bear problem or the jello problem? <laughs> <laughs> Either. I think about it. Oh, I love gummy bears. I wonder about what gummy bears inside of a jello mold would be like. Something you could choke on. <laughs> <laughs> what if, okay, what if you did, hold on a second now. What if you did a jello shot with a gummy bear inside of it? You would definitely choke on that because one, you're drunk because you're already doing jello shots. Yeah. And the idea is to like mush up the jello shot as fast as you can and try to swallow it down. So it's like really doing a shot. Yeah. Yeah. So dangerous. You're saying dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah. Okay. Don't do that. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Moving on. Cochran says he doesn't know what it is, but he can communicate with it. Kirk asks what Cochran's first name is, and Cochran says Zephram. And Kirk says of Alpha Centauri, the inventor of the space warp? McCoy says that's impossible. Zephyr Cochran died 150 years ago and everyone kind of looks on stunned. Dana, I have a question for you. How does this fit into the timeline, the Star Trek timeline of Cochran inventing the warp drive and then as it's told to us later through the next generation and the film First Contact, do you know how this all fits together? And to say that he's from Alpha Centauri and not Earth? Yeah, it fits together. Okay, good. <laughs> I really don't know. I mean, I'm assuming it mostly does, but I don't really know. I think, I remember when uh, the movie came out, First Contact, that they said that they tried to tie it all together because, you know, Star Trek fans will definitely chase after you and be like, oh no, he took off from Earth on April 2nd, not April 3rd, you know. Is this <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. We're, we're Star Trek fans, Dana. We would be saying that. <laughs> 
Spock tells Kirk universities and planets were named after Cochran. And Cochran says, I was 87 years old when I left. I was going to die and I wanted to die in space. That's all. True, his body was never found. You're looking at it, Mr. Spock. If so, you wear your age very well. I got to say, I really like this backstory that they're building for this guy and that he just wanted to go to space, be left alone and die out there. I did truly like this part. Yeah, I did too. I thought it added something to the character. Kirk is suspicious and says to Cochran, you don't look a day over 35. And Cochran says, the companion keeps me young. Spock picks up one of the instruments from the table that's in Cochran's house. And he says, these instruments are from the right era. Cochran says he cannibalized the pieces from the ship, but the food, the water, the garden all come from the companion. Kirk says, you can talk to the companion. Maybe you can ask what we're doing here. And Cochran says, I already know you're here to keep me company. He says, I had told it I was going to die of loneliness, thinking that it would release me, but instead it brought you here. Suddenly, Commissioner Hedford starts crying and Kirk and McCoy take her to bed so she can lie down. (laughs) Jesus Christ. <laughs> I knew. Wait, what did they do, Dana? They, they, what, where did they take her? <laughs> <laughs> well, what am I supposed to say? They took her to a bed <laughs> so she could lie okay, down. I'll try, to, I'll, try, I'll, just, I'll try to hold it together, Dana. I'm sorry. That's good, though. So Commissioner Hedford starts crying and Kirk and McCoy go to her and try to calm her. And she's screaming and going on about being alone. And they take her in the other room. McCoy gives her an injection to calm her down. Kirk goes to Spock and says, continue taking readings and find a weapon to use against it. Spock asks, do you mean to destroy it? And Kirk says, I'll do whatever it takes to get us off this planet. So Kirk then asked Cochran if he left the planet, what would happen to him? And Cochran says he would start to age again. And Kirk says, Do you want to leave here? Believe me, Captain, immortality consists largely of boredom. So meanwhile, Spock is checking out the shuttlecraft. So the companion appears and Spock kind of reaches out to touch it. His hand passes through it and then there's a sound like thunder and Spock is thrown and bashed kind of against the back of the shuttlecraft and then thrown against some other rocks on the side. And then the open panels of the shuttlecraft start catching fire and exploding. Back at uh, Cochran's house, McCoy is watching the commissioner. She's not looking good. She looks pretty sick. Kirk asks Cochran to communicate with the companion to see if it can help the commissioner. Cochran says he can try. So Cochran walks outside. McCoy and Kirk follow. Cochran kind of stops at the spot. The companion materializes and goes to him and engulfs him, kind of like it did the shuttlecraft. They go to Cochran after the companion leaves, and he says the companion can't help Hedford. Next thing we see is McCoy running to find Spock. He finds Spock on the ground by the shuttlecraft. Spock says he's all right. A most fascinating thing happened. Apparently, the companion imparted to me a rather quaint, old-fashioned electric shock of respectable voltage. It attacked you? Evidently. McCoy asks if anything that generates electricity can be shorted out. And Spock says, yes, you're right. Back at Cochrane's quarters, Spock has a machine that will scramble all the electrical impulses the creature can produce. Cochrane walks away and Kirk asks, what troubles you? And Cochrane says, the companion saved my life. I've grown a certain affection for it. Infection? Is that what he said? He's gotten an <laughs> infection from it? That jello, Dana. If it gets in the wrong places, it can cause yeah. some problems, I guess. Yes, I mean, that's what I hear. Kirk argues, but it's keeping you here. You're a prisoner. And Cochran says, 
I don't want it killed. Spock says, it could simply render it powerless. And Cochran says, but you don't know. You could kill it and I won't stand for that. And I thought that was a really good scene because if he just like flipped on it, that would be pretty poor. Yeah, I thought this actor was really good. I thought he played Saffron Cochran pretty realistically. Kirk says, we have to get out of here. I'll do anything I have to do to save our lives. Cochran reluctantly finally agrees. He says he'll go contact it. So he stops in the doorway and asks, what was it they used to call it? A Judas goat? Did you even know what that meant? I figured it was something you put out as kind of bait, like a goat that you put out for the tiger or something like that. I had no idea what it meant, Dana. No clue. So Dana, your explanation sounds totally reasonable, right? But the real explanation is crazy. Apparently, Judas goats were used in the goat slaughter industry, but these goats weren't slaughtered. This is how they trained the goats, the Judas goats. The people who ran these slaughterhouses, they would get the goats addicted to nicotine by giving them cigarettes, right? So they'd feed them cigarettes and then they would start to train them to do things so they'd get the cigarette as a treat. Oh, wow. Okay. What they wanted these goats to do, the Judas goats, was to lead a parade of other goats to their demise because the goats would follow the Judas goats. The other goats would follow them. They're like, well, I can follow this guy. He must, he's a goat. He's not going to do anything bad, right? So they, the Judas goat would lead them up to the slaughterhouse floor. The Judas goat would get them all in the room. They'd close the doors. And then the Judas goat would be given a treat of the cigarette so it could chew on the, you know, eat the cigarette. They were unfiltered, by the way. Not, not that that matters, but <laughs> camels and Marlboros is what they really liked, apparently. That goat would be let out. It'd go through a certain door. They'd shut the door behind it. All the other goats would be processed. The Judas goat would get to like live a happy life. The problem is that sometimes they would escape the Judas goats and they'd just go taken off. They'd try to run and do whatever a goat would do. I guess it was high on nicotine. <laughs> I guess sometimes they'd find him like down in the parking lot, the employee's parking lot, and they'd be on top of cars because goats like to climb stuff. Yeah. So they have to go up there and get the goat. But the, like when they found the goats, would they have like a pack of cigarettes rolled up in their sleeves and stuff and like all... <laughs> Have a real attitude, listen to rock and roll music. and Exactly right. <laughs> kind of, yeah, rolled up in the wool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But that's what that term means. It's wow. so bizarre. I'll put a link in the show notes to an article about this because it's fascinating. That is crazy. I'd never heard that before. Yeah, I didn't either. Had no clue what that meant. Once again, we learned something new on this show. So when Cochran goes out, Spock says, there is some risk. We don't know the extent of its power. And Kirk says, nor does it know ours. And when he said that, I thought, you know, well, that's a good point. Sure. So then we see the companion cover Cochran. Spock throws the switch and there's a lightning crackle, thunder sound, and Cochran jerks if he's been hit. And then he falls to the ground and the moving blob of jello comes at Kirk and Spock and knocks them down inside the house. It seems to like agonize and strangle Kirk and Spock. They're both like grabbing at their throats and tossing and turning on the floor. Finally, McCoy yells, stop it, you're killing them. And the thing just keeps going. Of course. I mean, you cannot reason with a blob of jello, Dana. <laughs> Cochran gets back up off the ground and takes his stance to call a companion. Companion leaves Kirk and Spock. They go to the door and see the companion is covering Cochran. Kirk and McCoy watch it. And Kirk asks, how do you fight a thing like that? And McCoy says, you've been a soldier so much, you forgot 
that you're also a diplomat. Maybe you need to try a carrot instead of a stick. I guess it was a good point. Like every other time, Kirk has just gone right to the weapon instead of trying to talk to the thing. So Kirk goes to Spock and tells him to use the universal translator on the companion. So we go up to the Enterprise that's combing the area for the shuttlecraft and crew. Scotty is in charge. Uhura says they are coming up on the area where they knew the shuttlecraft was last. So Scotty has the scanners broaden their search. Sulu reports that they found something, but then he reports that the particles are fading. Scotty tells him to stay on course on the path that the particles started on. So Dan, I love all three of those characters, but the way they were reading their lines, it was almost as though they had just been given them, didn't have time to memorize. It just seems so wooden to me. Did you pick up on that or did it? am I just overthinking it? No, I saw the same thing. There wasn't a lot of energy in what they were saying. One, you know, Scotty could give a shit if they find Kirk, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that really does come through, doesn't it? His dislike for William Shatner. Back in Cochrane's quarters, Spock is making adjustments to the Universal Translator. Kirk tells Cochrane to call the companion. So Cochrane goes back outside and stands still. Companion engulfs him. Kirk holds the Universal Translator and he calls to it and it moves away from Cochrane. We hear the sort of computerized voice of the companion. Kirk turns to Spock, feminine. No doubt about it. Kirk smiles and Spock says, it's not a zookeeper. And Kirk replies, no, a lover. Ooh. Cochran hears this and he looks a little surprised. Kirk calls to the companion again saying they must get off the planet. Kirk says, one of us will die if we don't get her off this planet. Kirk says, we will cease to exist in captivity. What you offer us is non-existence. We will cease to exist. And then the companion disappears. I know I've mentioned this in a previous episode, Dana, but I really love the Universal Translator. It was a cool idea way ahead of its time. And it's funny, when they mentioned the Universal Translator in here, I went, Dan's going to be so excited that they have the Universal <laughs> Translator in here. So. Yeah, we, we are starting to, to kind of figure out which parts are going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, Dana's <laughs> going to like this one or Dana's going to talk about that one or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Back in uh, Cochran's home, he comes in from outside and asks why they gave the companion a female voice. Kirk says male and female are universal constants. Yeah, I don't know about that, Dana. <laughs> yeah, well, we said uh, Star Trek was way ahead of his time on some things, but not on others. So Yeah, I mean... It's interesting. Some cultures, it is not a binary male-female system. For example, when my wife and I were in French Polynesia, there are, within that culture, several identified genders besides male and female. It is quite fascinating. Wow. Same in many Native American cultures. Kirk says, there's no doubt about it. The companion is female. And Cochran says... He does not understand. McCoy speaks a little tersely. He goes, you're not a pet. You're not a specimen kept in a cage. You're a lover. And this kind of sets Cochran off. I'm a what? Yeah, he he gets, I mean, he gets angry. Yeah, he says, saying that the thing crawled around in my mind, used me, it is disgusting. And then he runs out. Yeah, I... <laughs> I was shocked, actually, at how shocked he was. Back on the planet, Cochran has called the companion again. And Kirk asks if it loves Cochran, if Cochran is important, more important than anything, as if he were a part of you. The voice says, he is part of me. Kirk explains that Cochran will die if left on this planet and that Hedford is dying. Kirk says, you can't really love him. You are two different things. You can't love. The companion says, if I were human, there can be love and then the companion disappears. 
Just then we hear the voice of the companion say, Zephram Cochran, and they turn to see a smiling, apparently healthy Commissioner Hedford standing in the doorway of Cochran's home. What I really liked about that, Dana, was the voice. It sounded like the companion's voice, how it had a little bit of an echo to it, and it sounded like the companion's voice had been mixed with Hedford's voice. Yeah, no, exactly. That's the same thing I thought. I thought that was well done. Again, I, I think a lot of this episode was actually pretty well done. Koi checks her with the tricorder and says, I don't understand it. She's not sick at all. She's perfectly healthy. And Cochran says, don't you see? It's her, the companion. Hedford says, your ship will work now. Cochran says, you're letting us go? She says, I can do nothing to stop you. She turns back to Kirk. You said we would not know love because we are not human. Now we will know. We will know the change of the day. We will know death. Cochran says, you're very beautiful. And she says, part of her understands, but part does not. And Cochran says, I can explain. So then they walk off hand in hand. On the Enterprise, Uhura announces that she has the captain. Scotty tells him they'll be there in 57 minutes. Scotty asks... What happened? That was good. I like that. Yeah, see if I two words. <laughs> I could be Scotty. <laughs> 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 so Kirk says, interesting story, but I can't tell you now because I don't know how it will end. So we see Hedford uh, looking through her scarf at Cochran as he tells her all the things he wants to show her in the galaxy. Looking through the scarf looks kind of like what you'd imagine it looked like for the companion to have seen Cochran as before. I like that scene. She lowers the scarf and says she can't go with him. Her life emanates from this planet. If she were to leave for more than a day, she would die. And Cochran says... You gave up everything to be human. He says, I can't just fly away and leave you here. He realizes she loved him all the time, and he goes to her and kisses her. Back at Cochran's home, Cochran explains that he cannot leave her. He loves her. And he says, is that surprising? Spock says, Not coming from a human being. You are, after all, essentially irrational. God, you know, sometimes someone just needs to smack Spock. He, he needs to know <laughs> when not to talk. So Kirk wishes them all the best. Then Cochran asks that they don't tell anyone about them. And Kirk says, of course not. And that's how the show ends, Dan. So, Dana, there are some interesting things about some of the actors in the show. Yeah, Dan. Glenn Corbett, who played uh, Zephram Cochran. A lot of people might have recognized him for other TV shows that he was on during the 60s. Did make a few movies. Most notably, he was in the uh, movie Big Jake with John Wayne. Good movie. He was also in the movie Chisholm, where he played Pat Garrett. Dan, you had something about uh, Eleanor Donahue you wanted to share? Yeah, Eleanor Donahue, who played Assistant Commissioner Hedford, she's actually still alive, 86 years old this year. I think it'd be great to get her on the show. I, actually, we've said that about everyone who's still alive, and we haven't heard from any of them, so not sure what's happening there. I think we need to start reaching out to these people, and so I'm sure they're in the phone book. Is there even such a thing as a phone book anymore? Yo, know, as soon as I said that, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> I liked her in this episode a lot, but I also am a huge fan of the Andy Griffith show, especially the early seasons. She played Ellie Walker, who is, I think, like the pharmacist, but I'm not sure I've seen her in anything else, really. But she's still alive. She could come on the show and explain her whole career if she wanted. Dana, any dilemmas or themes in this episode you want to talk about? Is life worth living if we have no one to share it with? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I meant, I meant no. I think there's something to that. You know, everything is better shared with somebody else. Do you have any uh, themes or dilemmas you want to discuss? I think it's related to that. And the question is loneliness deadly. Both Cochran and 
the companion kind of talk about that or at least at least hint toward it. I just saw a report put out in the last month by the U.S. Surgeon General that said loneliness increases the risk of premature death by nearly 30 percent. And the report also said that those with poor social relationships have a greater risk of stroke and heart disease. Loneliness and kind of social isolation is bad for us as humans. And I think we that really was borne out by COVID. Oh, yeah, I agree. Dan, let's get to the best and the worst. What do you think uh, were some of the best parts of this episode? I thought it was a very cool set, especially when Cochran is kind of standing. He had just communicated with the companion and you can see these clouds like moving across the set. And I, I guess that the way they did that was actually had some kind of smoke machine that blew the clouds across and it looked like they were actually clouds up in the sky, like in the atmosphere. It, it was a cool effect. I thought it was a very nice touch. Yeah, because usually the backgrounds are all static. Yeah. How about you? What about a best part? Spock realizing that this alien is something they can actually learn from instead of just wipe it out because it's not letting us get to our ship. We've talked about that with other alien races. They come in contact with them. They don't really get a chance to learn from, usually because Kirk wipes it out. I thought it was great. Yeah, it's a good point. Do you have anything else that's a best part? The backstory that's given to Cochrane, not only in this episode, but throughout the entirety of the Star Trek franchise, right? All the spinoffs. And it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper, his backstory. So I, I really like that. I thought it was pretty cool. How about another best part for you? I mentioned this earlier when Hedford uh, looks through the scarf at Cochrane. We both thought that was a neat thing, kind of like showing the change and what uh, how she was seeing him as a real person now. There was something the director said just kind of worked. He looked at the scarf that she was wearing and thought, yeah, he goes, look, we can make this work. It was kind of on the spot that they did that and it worked out really well. Yeah, and like you said, it, it almost seemed like the perspective of the camera was though it was inside the blob of the companion. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah, I liked it too, yeah. How about a worst part, Dan? Kirk once again tries to convince another species that humans need to be free, they need to overcome, they need challenges and obstacles, and that life under these conditions is no life at all. I mean, it is tired at this point. Move <laughs> beyond it, please. Even the aliens are like, we've heard this before. Yeah, so we, at, at the alien conventions, this is what we talk about. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just got old. It got old to me. How about a worst part for you? In spite of all the other stuff with Cochrane that went really well, when he realizes that the thing that has cared for him and kept him young is an alien that's been doing all that and he's repulsed. Just didn't make sense to me. Why was it okay when it wasn't in love with you? Right. Did, didn't make any sense. Well, in fact, even Spock said, oh, how parochial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have any other worst parts? The score to this episode I thought was beautiful. The music in most of Star Trek is, I think, really well written for the most part. But I just thought it was so overused in this episode. Just thought it was overused. I think it was this episode. The It was the first time that the composer had worked on the show. But they said because of this episode, they decided to use him in other episodes going forward. Yeah. So they liked what he did. There's there's some moments in there I really like. Like you, a lot was overused. Do you have another worst part? Why would your top three officers be on board a shuttlecraft? Yeah, there's some kind of diplomatic mission. I could see the captain and Scotty and another, you know, an ensign. It just seems silly that they had, you know, these top three officers on one shuttlecraft. Well, it's, it's the reason we don't do the podcast from the same location, because if there's some, who knows, catastrophe, <laughs> you know, the world would lose both of us. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the world is thinking, yeah, yeah. Let's get them together. <laughs> yeah. Get them. In like a really dangerous place. Earthquake right on the right on the San Andreas Fault, right at the base of a volcano someplace. Oh, base. I think they'd want us at the top. At the... <laughs> <laughs> Why take any chances? <laughs> Just a little further back. A little further back, guys. Yeah. A little further back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dana, what happened on this date in history? So, Dan, this episode aired on November 10th, 1967. At that time, the number one song in the U.S. was... To Sir With Love by Lulu. That makes it three weeks in a row, I believe. Yeah, I think so. And in the UK, the number one song was Baby Now That I Found You by The Foundations. I went and listened to that song, Dana, a few weeks ago when you first brought it up. I couldn't recall that song. Once I listened to it, I was like, oh yeah, now I know that song and I kind of like it. So the US Probe Survey 6 made a soft landing on the moon uh, at 8.01 p.m. on November 9th and began transmitting the first of 20 9,952 television images back to Earth on November 10th. Wow, it's a lot of images. Do you think they had like stunt actors in that? Because that's all fake, right? Moon landing stuff is all fake. There's no actors. It was just a, a probe. I mean, that's all done on a soundstage someplace, right? The moon landing, same thing. It's funny. I'm reading a book right now and somebody mentions that the moon landing was fake. Really? I just want to make it clear. It was not fake. It was not fake. It was real, the whole thing. Thought this was interesting. On November 9th, the first issue of Rolling Stone magazine, dated November 9th, 1967, made its debut as a newspaper printed and distributed around San Francisco. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. I didn't either. So this deserves special mention. On November 11th, while on board the carrier, the USS Enterprise for Veterans Day, U.S. President Johnson appealed to the North Vietnamese to come to the negotiation table to search for a peaceful solution to end the war in Vietnam. Shall we move on to the counts? Yeah, let's do the counts. Dana, how about the dead crewman count for this week? There was no dead crewman, Dan. It's a sad day. So we're stuck at 36. Shirtless Kirk Grip shirt Kirk count. Wasn't even a fight or a tussle that he could have done that. Yeah, nothing. So we're stuck at 10. How about the he's dead count, Dana? Once again, no, he died. We're stuck at eight. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. No, I think there was some places they could have used this, but uh, they didn't. So you're saying... Zero. Oh, zero. Yeah, that's what you're <laughs> saying. Okay, so zero. All right, so we're stuck at six. The supreme being count. You know, early on, I was thinking that the companion might be a supreme being, but it turns out it wasn't. All right, well, let's keep it at zero then. And we have a total, I believe, of eight. How about the violation of the prime directive? They didn't trounce on anybody's rights or mess with an alien culture. I would say zero. Yeah, I agree. So I think we're stuck at five. Now you did your homework. I did not. The new count was what again, Dana? Times that the Enterprise has taken over. What did you find in your research? I show that we're at five right now. And that's Charlie X. He took over the Enterprise. Okay. Space Seed, Khan took over the Enterprise. Yeah. This side of Paradise, the uh, pods took over the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. The Changeling, Nomad, took over the Enterprise. Yeah. And iMud, Mud and the Androids, took over the Enterprise. Yep. What about in the Menagerie? I thought about that too. Mm -hmm. 
the Telosians created an illusion for Kirk. Did they take over the Enterprise? Like, well, I guess Spock did the taking over, right? Yeah. But not in this week's episode? No, because the companion only took over the, the shuttlecraft. So that doesn't count as far as you're concerned. It has to be the Enterprise. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. So w- what is our total then again, Dana? I show that we're at five. All right, zero this week. So we are at five on this new count. <laughs> So, Dan, what episode are we doing next week? Next week's episode, Dana, could be a description of our podcast, Journey to Babble. <laughs> is it Journey to Ramble or is it Journey to Babble? <laughs> well, we do babble. We babble a lot. That's a word, isn't it? Babble? I think it's a word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's Journey to Babble. Cool. I haven't seen that one in a long time either. Looking forward to it. Well, Dana, once again, I would really like to thank the people who've written into the show. Please keep doing that. We'd love to hear the comments. Yeah. And I want to special, put out a special thank you to our friend in Canada, Lou, who's been uh, doing fairly lengthy reviews on our shows for us. It's always great to be able to sit down with my friend Dan and talk about Star Trek. Until next week, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook or YouTube. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for Journey to Babel. Have a great rest of your week and remember to live long and prosper.